I'm Micah Adams, and Andrew Wiggins will make the 2021 All-Star team. I'm Scott Rafferty, and I'm excited to see Andrew Wiggins win a championship next season. I'm Kyle Irving, and I really hope this isn't the end of the road for Isaiah Thomas's NBA career. I'm Gil McGregor, and D'Angelo Russell is far too young to be a journeyman. Welcome into NBA Sound System. We are here with you mere hours after the end of a crazy, fast and furious NBA trade deadline day. Uh, Vin Diesel was basically involved. That's how fast we were flying up and down the court. Uh, as you already heard, I'm Mike alongside Scott, Kyle, and Gil. And guys, let's just jump right into it. And I think we have to start with, with in my opinion, what's the biggest uh, trade of the day. It's Andre Iguodala finally ending uh, what's been a weird couple of months in Memphis, going to the Miami Heat. So uh, just first impressions of Andre Iguodala to Miami. It's going to be interesting. I, I honestly don't really know what to expect from him because he's 36 years old. He dealt with injuries during you know the back end of his time with the Warriors. He hasn't played since the finals last season, so we just haven't seen him on the court. But in theory, if he's the guy, if he's a rejuvenated player, he gives the Miami Heat another strong defensive player. They can close games with him. Sometimes he can hit threes. That would be huge if he can do that in Miami. Um, he's a good playmaker, so he can kind of tie everything together for the Heat. So he's a fascinating addition to this team. Yeah, I like the idea of Andre Iguodala to the Heat, but kind of like Scott just touched on, I mean, this guy, is he hasn't been sitting on his couch. I'm sure he's been working out, but there's a, a huge difference between workout shape and game shape. Um, I mean, by the time that he gets to the playoffs, is he going to be in game shape? Yes, probably. But at the same time, how long is it going to take Andre Iguodala to really get into the flow of things with the Miami Heat, uh, get accustomed to his new teammates, get into that game shape where they can trust him guarding you know, some of the elite players that they're expecting him to I guard? I mean, he, he walks in the door with that trust, though, right? Absolutely, yeah. and he's earned that in his career. Three-time MVP, I mean, three-time champion, finals MVP. He's earned that trust, and he's earned the two-year extension that he got as well. I think that you know is a tribute to what he's done in the past in his career. But at the same time, I still want to see it. I want to, I want to see him prove it that he's ready. Yeah, that's the thing with him. You know, he had some big moments in the finals. He had some big moments sparingly. He had that big moment with Damian Lillard on, on defense in, in last year, but. That was almost a year ago now, and he's also a year older. So a big question you, you wonder is, you know, how long is it going to take him to get in that game shape? How much does he still have left in the tank? And obviously that deal to have him until he's 38 years old expresses some type of b belief in him. But let's not also lose in the fact that they also acquired Jay Crowder alongside uh, Andre Godalin. He's not just some throw-in. Jay Crowder had some big moments with the Grizzlies this year. Um, I think he fits that heat culture the same way that Iguodala does, and I think that um, it's a big move and big acquisition and that it continues to add on to what they have going on, and it makes them a little more fearsome, and I wouldn't want to see them in the playoffs. Is it, is it crazy to think that so I, you know, we referred to it as the Andre Godala trade. Should it be the Jay Crowder trade? Like, is Jay Crowder actually the better player that Miami got? It's, in the it's trade? definitely being undersold. Like, I feel like nobody's talking about the Nobody fact that they is. picked up Jay Crowder, and he could be a big deal for that team. He's not having an efficient season. His his shooting numbers are way down. But when you think of a, a volume three point shooter who can play small forward and power forward, a tough guy, like he fits in with the way they like to play and everything like that. I think he's going to be a perfect fit. I think. If Iguodala can kind of get back to the player that he was when he was healthy five last, years ago, no, 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 like last year, the last couple of years when he was healthy, I think that version of Iguodala, because really they're only going to need him for like 15, 20 minutes a game. Was, it, was Iguodala that good though last year? He had spurts, he had spurts last season. I mean, he had that huge game against the Rockets, defensively, like Gil was saying, against the the Blazers and things like that. 
And I don't think they're going to have to rely on him quite as much as maybe the Warriors did. So, as I said, if he's good for 15, 20 minutes a game, that's my, that might be all they need. I, but, think, I think we are collectively falling in love with the uh, – not we. Well, I mean, we I, talked about this on the last pod, too, about yeah, how, just, like, not, not much is being really made about the situation that Iguodala is in at this point of his career and all the time that he's had off and everything like that. Like, Andre Iguodala was fine in spurts, but I would say he was – I, I, I don't know. I, I, I would say that he was more of a negative than a positive in last year's playoffs. You remove game six, you remove a couple of big shots in the finals. I mean, he shot 31% from three in the finals. Uh, people talk about his uh, defensive abilities, and I, I know it's beyond way more than what sh- ever happens in a box score, but I mean, he had more, more turnovers than, or uh, more, more turnovers than steals, I believe. I don't know. I, I feel like. You know, Andre Godala, when he's surrounded by Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant, looks awesome. I mean, he but he wasn't with Kevin Durant and down the stretch That's of that true. playoff series. They had a ton of injuries. They probably leaned on him more than they had to and, because and, of those injuries. And he was so. one of the p- people that were dealing with injuries last year as well. Exactly. He's dealing, he's, he dealt with a leg injury, so he wasn't necessarily 100%. Maybe some time off will, will do him well. I, when he was uh, recently on NBA Countdown prior to a game, he was saying that taking this time off, he's, he's waking up in the morning without soreness, and he said he felt like it added years to his career. The video that he released talking about joining the Heat, he looked like he's in great shape, so he looks like he's been taking care of his body. He's a guy who's been come known on. for doing that. Oh, come on. So, no, so no, no, I mean, no, no. I'm going mean, to Stop you right there. I mean, we, you're going to sit here and tell me that a that a random video of him <laughs> looking wearing a shirtless tank top talking about joining the Heat is proof that he's in game shape. That's oh, all. That's all. That's all we have to base it on. That's, I mean, he's also, a guy who's always been. Yeah, the Heat, the Heat aren't going to play him if he's not in good shape. That's true. They have a history that's of that guy. Like that's come on. That's <laughs> like read. That's like taking the the off season Instagram workout video and just like quadrupling it. I think what this really comes down to, bringing it back full circle here, is the fact that that's what makes Jay Crowder so important in this trade, right? I mean, we're sitting here talking about, is Andre Iguodala in game shape? What is he really capable of? Uh, I think Jay Crowder kind of buys you a little bit of time there because you can fill Jay Crowder into those valuable minutes right now because you know he's in game shape. And he does similar things on the floor that Andre Iguodala does defensively. You know, he brings a little bit more offensively. He can buy some time for Andre Iguodala to get into game shape and the Heat can use him to, you know, fill those minutes until they feel that Iggy is at, you know, at that point where he can play the minutes they're expecting him to. I One of the things that I, I was initially really excited for that didn't end up happening was when Danilo Gallinari yep. was rumored as being sort of tossed into this. And to me, like when it when it was a it's an Igadala Gallinari haul for Miami that got me infinitely more excited. That's scary. Right? That, that was yeah. scary. Yeah. I think that's what makes this the whole Jay Crowder thing not as important, right? Because I mean, we we were all excited about Danilo Gallinari, and that didn't end up happening. I mean, we went to bed last night before we even knew who else Miami was getting in this trade. So now amidst all the madness today. Uh, at the time of recording at the trade deadline, it's like, well, oh yeah, and by the way, they got Jay Crowder in that trade. I, I just, I for one would not be surprised if Game Seven in a tight game that Miami ends up winning in the playoffs, it's Jay Crowder that's the one that makes a big stop, and Andre Iguodala is clapping from the bench. But whatever, that's just my two cents. Let's go to the other team uh, that it was involved here, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, who when. Gil, you talked about Andre Godala talking on Countdown. The Grizzlies had a game that night, and he <laughs> yeah. was still on NBA Countdown. Uh, I want to read off a couple of things that the Grizzlies have done in the past year. Shout-outs to Kevin O'Connor. They drafted John Morant. They traded up for Brandon Clark. They dealt Mike Conley for Jay Crowder in a future first. 
They acquired DeAnthony Melton in order to take Josh Jackson off of the hands of Phoenix. They then got a first-round pick to take Andre Godala off of the Warriors' hands, and then they flipped a Godala and Jay Crowder for Justice Winslow, who, by the way, is still young and on a pretty team-friendly contract. What a year for the Memphis Grizzlies. What a year. This team is set up really well for the future. They had to take on some salary for next season in that deal. I don't really think that matters just because they're not, I don't think they're going to be players in free, agent, in free agency. They have their core that they want and everything like that. The first thing is Justice Winslow needs to get healthy. He's played in only 11 games this season. He's been battling injuries. But we've seen over the last few seasons that super versatile guy can play with the ball in his hands. He's a good playmaker. Um, he's shown signs of being able to you know, space the floor as a three-point shooter and all that. And he's a super versatile defender. He should fit in perfectly with that core. It's that's, a great pick. Another that's thing, in, in the, the 11 games he did play, I do remember one was against the Grizzlies. He had 27 points, had a really big game. Another game was against uh, the Raptors, and I remember watching that one uh, in detail, and he played really well. That game. So, again, like once he gets back on the floor, he brings a lot to that team, and he's 23 years old. He fits the timeline of everything that's going on, and there's some pre-existing chemistry there, Michael, which you would appreciate with Tyus Jones and Grayson Allen. Yeah, Those baby. guys won Let's national go. championship together, as much as it pains me to admit. But, uh, but yeah, that they have that going on as well, and I think it's just exciting for the Grizzlies, who are – very, very far ahead of schedule, as many would say. Shout out to what the job that Taylor Jenkins is doing. These guys have a three-game lead for the eight seed in the in the Western Conference, and it'd be really fun to watch them play whoever ends up as number one in the West. I think my favorite thing about this Memphis Grizzlies team is this attitude that they're that they've developed over the past you know week or so. Amen. Uh, everything with <laughs> Dylan Brooks. I, you know, I'm not even sure I'd ever heard Dylan Brooks talk until leading up to this week, and I just absolutely love him going at his veteran, which, you know, respect your elders, say what you want, but I respect him going at the veteran on that's technically on their team in saying, you know, we haven't had him all year, nothing's changed, and I can't wait to play him, even though, unfortunately, we're not going to get to see a Grizzlies versus Heat matchup because they've already played each other twice this year. I love John Morant also going out on Twitter, and, you know, he comes at Steph Curry a little bit, and he has no problem coming out and saying, I respect Steph Curry, but I'm also not scared of Steph Curry, and that's one of my favorite things about John Morant that, you know, kind of seems to be a reoccurring theme, and I really feel like these young guys are developing a culture on this team and we've seen so many times in the NBA where you know not having a culture could be the downfall of your team and they're already kind of building this with the young core that they have in place and they're just only getting better. And Justice Winslow uh, taken to Twitter on trade deadline day too, right? Like they make that trade, Dwayne Wade's out there saying, oh, what a move for Miami. And then Justice Winslow's like right. clapping yep. back at right D. Wade right. saying like, right. yep. like Justice Winslow, I think on the court and off the court and in the locker room, fits the mold perfectly of everything that they're building there in Memphis. And it's it's funny to me and fascinating that that like Grindhouse, the like Grind City is like it's on its way back. Like right. yeah, this is. all these young guys are embracing the identity of 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 Zebo and Tony mm-hmm. Allen and Conley and Marcus Saw. It's like it's just like it's be the reincarnation of Grind City. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and on top of that, too, with getting Justice Winslow, I mean, Jay Crowder, like we said, brought an offensive punch, too, but they didn't really need that. I mean, John Morant can score. Dylan Brooks can score. Uh, Jaron Jackson can score. Jonas Valanciunas can score. And now you add in Justice Winslow to that starting lineup once he gets healthy, and that adds another ball handler and playmaker. He played some point forward for the Heat uh, over the last two seasons. Uh, gives them another playmaker alongside John Morant, and it gives them an extremely versatile defender, probably the best on-ball defender they have on the team now so it's a perfect fit there real quick i am big jay crowder fan really like him in miami 
he did shoot 37% from the field and 29% from three this season in Memphis. So the bar, the bar is pretty yeah, low in terms of his replacement. It's better than 0%, yeah. which is. is what Andre Godala <laughs> is. He hasn't and, played and basketball. To build year. on that too, huge credit to the Grizzlies. The alternative was either buying Iguodala out if they didn't find a trade for him or letting him just walk in free agency. So to get someone like Justice Winslow, that's a huge win for him. An absolute huge win. And speaking of win, uh, I want to ask you guys who is the winner of a trade between the Warriors and Timberwolves. So who won the trade? Carl Anthony Towns won the trade. That was going to be my answer Carl, too. Carl Anthony Towns won the trade. See, we're on the same page, Scott. He had that quote. It was last night, I do believe. He ha- he hasn't won a game personally since November, and he's far too talented to be dealing with a, win- a losing streak like that personally and, and with the team they've lost 12 or 13 straight at the time of recording. But they something had to give, and in they it was a major way they went and brought in probably his closest friend in the NBA alongside with Devin Booker. I know they have a, a three-headed monster. They're the, they call themselves the good fellows, whatever they have going on with those guys. Now he has a good friend with him, a guy who has won, made an all-star appearance once already in his career. Um, they're both young. They, they both can provide an offensive punch, and I think it at least – changes the direction of where things were going. Obviously, I think we saw over the years that it wasn't just it was just wasn't going to work out with with Wiggins and and Carl Anthony Towns. So for a disgruntled superstar that's fed up with losing, uh bringing in somebody he's close with that also is a guy that's going to help them win games and try and turn things around. I think that's a huge win for Carl Anthony Towns and the Timberwolves franchise. And someone who's going to compliment him well on the court right. too. I think defensively is a different story. Like yeah. they're going to have to really search hard to surround them with guys to actually be a competent defensive team. Um, in building something around D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Towns. But offensively, like it should be day one, complement each other, no problems. Both great pick and roll guys um, and everything like that. So, so I'm, I'm excited to see what they do offensively in Minnesota. And I agree with you. I think Towns is actually the biggest winner in this, in this deal. So, so both of you picked Towns and by virtue pick Minnesota. Kyle, winner or loser? I actually, or who won the trade? I think the winner of the trade, if we're going by team, is the Golden State Warriors, right? I mean, D'Angelo Russell clearly wasn't the right fit there. They, you know, It seems like they just wanted to get some sort of return for Kevin Durant, for somebody that they could potentially flip. I don't know if Andrew Wiggins is exactly the player they had in mind when they brought in D'Angelo Russell, but it was clear there wasn't a, clear, it, there wasn't, you know, a seamless fit there with D'Angelo Russell, especially once they got Steph Curry and Klay Thompson back. I think uh, Andrew Wiggins is going to be an interesting player next year because now it's kind of put your money where your mouth is time for Wiggy. Um, I mean, he's had a solid season this year, but there's no brighter lights than when you're playing for the Golden State Warriors next to Stephen Curry and, and Klay Thompson. He's going to have to prove it next year. I, I, agree, I agree with Kyle. I think the Warriors won the trade. I, I said at the, the open of the pod that Andrew Wiggins is going to make the 2021 All-Star team. I should probably relax a little bit before. Uh, hey, I said he's going to win a championship. So I do. you're just feeling it for could. Carlin really well. So I, I think, well, yeah, hey, someone's <laughs> got to do it. Shouts <laughs> Carlin Gay out there doing it big in Belgium this week. Um, I do think it's interesting that if you, if you line up Andrew Wiggins this season to Harrison Barnes from the 2016-17 season, his first in Dallas uh, after, after leaving Golden State so they could sign Kevin Durant, Andrew Wiggins is the exact same age now that Barnes was then, and their production across the board, pretty similar. I, I, I think, you know, if Steph Curry is healthy and Klay Thompson is healthy and Golden State is able to, to add another, you know, a couple of pieces with exceptions or buyout guys, whatever, we're sort of going to see the Warriors team that we would have seen had Kevin Durant not gotten there in the first place because I actually think stylistically, positionally, they're the same age, production-wise. I think Andrew Wiggins 
is somewhat of a of a reasonable comparison with the version of Harrison Barnes that ultimately left when KD came. But I think Andrew Wiggins is a better creator with the ball in his hands than Harrison Barnes was, especially with that team. And when you look at Steph and Clay and Draymond are still going to be great players, but there's no denying they're getting older. So I think if you can get a younger guy there, maybe Wiggins plays a little bit more with the ball in his hands than Barnes did. Um, put him in the pick and rolls, have Steph and Clay run off of screens. Not that you're going to run your offense through Wiggins when you have those guys on their team, but I still think you know they're going to have a very defined role for him. He can kind of fix some of their weaknesses and things like that. Whether or not it will work, I don't know because he's going to have to adjust now to being basically a third option in Golden State after being a second and first option in Minnesota throughout his career. Um, but I, I'm kind of of the belief, like, if it doesn't work in Golden State and it can't work in the system under Steve Kerr and all those guys, I, I don't know what to think do, about Do you guys think that this was this was the best that Golden State could have done for D'Angelo Russell? And, and I'm not just saying now at the nah. deadline. That it could have been a, could they have waited until the summer and got, like, That's it, you have this, like, this is their one big opportunity, right? Because with, with everyone else locked up, they're so over the cap. They keep, they don't have any cap space, so they basically had D'Angelo Russell as their one way to significantly improve a roster. That I know everyone's hurt. If everyone was healthy, there's not a whole lot on that roster right now either. Do you think that they ultimately that this was the best that Bob Myers and Golden State could have done? It's interesting because it's like it seems like the Warriors almost rushed this a little bit. Like what rush were the Warriors in this season to get rid of D'Angelo Russell? It's almost like the the Timberwolves kept picking up the phone. Hey, we want D'Angelo Russell. No, not yet. Put the phone down, pick him up. Hey, we want D'Angelo Russell in Washer and repeat 10 times over until finally the Warriors are like, all right, fine. Give us Andrew Wiggins. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know if it was they had the, plenty of time. Right. I feel like yeah. this deal would still be on the table in the summer. Like, I don't see why it wouldn't. Well, that's the thing. Minnesota made it pretty clear that they wanted D'Angelo Russell. Russell, So it's like, I don't, you're right. I don't think this deal was going anywhere anytime soon. The only thing I can think of is maybe, you know, if they are planning on holding on to Andrew Wiggins and they like the fit that he couldn't potentially have next to Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, that maybe they just kind of want to change his, I don't want to say his attitude because people are always getting on his attitude and stuff like that. And I don't necessarily think that's been an issue this but year. Maybe increase his but, trade values. Kind of know, getting at, right? right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of get him under, get him under Steve Kerr and get him in a different system where maybe they can either, you know, increase his trade value a little bit more this off season or in, on the other end, just kind of get him accustomed to what they're going to be running next year and get him in a position to succeed right when Stephen Clay so, uh, Maybe I'm saying on the same token as the trade thing, maybe it has something to do with their potential draft position. Maybe they have their eyes on a, a wing player and they think, okay, well, if Wiggins is that guy that we need, then we don't have to worry about getting that guy. Maybe they have their eyes on somebody on the interior. That could be a part of it too, but it's just really interesting, again, like you said, that the timing of and those extra – 30 games with the, with the franchise, what that, what's that really going to do? So the, the two things that I, that I do think are, are worth just pointing out here is Golden State also got a 2021 first-round pick from Minnesota that's top three protected. If it doesn't convey, then it's unprotected in 2022. So, look, I, I mean, we voice Carl Anthony Towns has a lot to prove when it comes to winning basketball games. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not him and D'Angelo Russell will be a winning combination. They just got rid of Robert Covington, right? Who in theory would have been a good, a good player and a nice fit there alongside those guys. And I think Golden State was smart getting a 2021 pick instead of next year. It's a this upcoming draft is not great. Uh, the one the year after projects to be a lot better. Plus, there's just you know, there's always this that like dangling trade chip that people always have. Oh, they got so and so's future draft pick. Like that's a real asset uh, that I think 
you know, they got beyond just Andrew Wiggins. So we, we shouldn't just say that it's Andrew Wiggins. The other piece of it is, so Wiggins is on the hook for $29.5 million next season, 31 and a half the year after that, and almost $34 million in the 2022-23 season. That's a boatload of money. Um, but he's going to a team that wasn't going to have space anyway. They don't care about paying the luxury tax. So if there was one team out there that could have traded for Andrew Wiggins without really caring a whole lot, it's the Golden State Warriors. It will be interesting to see if he if this is like a long term thing, like if he actually stays in Golden State through this contract, or kind of like Kyle was saying, this is just a matter of you know increasing his trade value and hoping to flip him again, whether it's next season or a couple seasons away. Because I do wonder like how much longer can Golden State kind of flip this max player? You know, it was D'Angelo Russell and now it's Andrew Wiggins. So I, I am interested to see if he actually has a future in Golden State. I do want to go on the record and say that I hope they don't flip Andrew Wiggins. I kind of just want to watch this play out and see what Wiggy has in store for us because I think he could be a fun a fun pairing alongside uh, Stephen Clay and Draymond. I mean, honestly, I'm excited for him. I mean, I talked about the the, the kind of, not culture of losing, but the, the losing that's happened in Minnesota. I think a change of scenery will be good for Andrew Wiggins. Um, just just a, a new place, a new team, and a new system to learn. I think that we might see uh, him get closer to realizing the potential that he that got him drafted number one you know, five or six years ago. But not excited enough to declare him the winner of the trade and not, not call that excited. Not that, not I mean, that he, excited. He didn't get to join his best friend, so I think that, <laughs> that that would be the, the – we'll put it over the top. All right. So let's move on uh, to one trade that I don't really want to spend that much time talking about. Uh, a big name between two teams really not going anywhere in three words or less. Scott, your reaction to Andre Drummond going from the Pistons to the Cavs. Three words or less only. Eh. Kyle. What the heck? Cleveland? Really? I got nothing. All right, moving on. Uh, the biggest trade in terms of sheer volume of players, uh, the day before the deadline, the massive four-team, 12-player trade, the biggest in 20 years, the 12 players the most in any trade since the 2000 deal that sent Hall of Famer Patrick Ewing from the Knicks to the Seattle Supersonics. The two, you know, the, the two highlights of this trade one, Clint Capella going to the Hawks, and two, Robert Covington, yeah, Robert Covington going to the Rockets. I want to focus in on the Rockets here because I, I think with all due respect uh, to the other parts of this trade, the Rockets one um, is, is certainly the one that has the most impact on this season and could fundamentally change uh, you know, the, the landscape across the league. So what are your guys' initial thoughts about the Rockets essentially kissing goodbye to playing with any center uh, and going super small with, with Rocco now? It's a fascinating deal, and it's probably exactly what Mike D'Antoni wanted. I mean, this is everything that's been building up to, right? The seven seconds or less, playing small ball and everything like that. They're going to shoot a ton of threes. They were already leading the league in three-point attempts per game, I think. That's going to increase. They have defensive versatility, how they can match up with guys like Nikola Jokic. Rudy Gobert, Anthony Davis in the playoffs. I'm not, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I'm not very confident about it, but it's a fascinating experiment for the Rockets to just go all in on small ball. The picture of PJ Tucker on stilts is the best thing I've seen on the internet in 2020 <laughs> so far. Um, Better I, than the scarves? Ooh, Ooh actually, that's that's, come on, that's pretty close. All right, you call me. I, think, Sir, <laughs> I think you call my bluff right away I there. I think Serge's scarf is taller than PJ Tucker. It honestly, 
That's we should, actually we should see if we can get that measured is. out. We it should see if we can get is. that measured out. The, the important questions answered is, here on NBA Sounds. Yeah, is Serge's scarf a better defender for centers in the West than PJ Tucker <laughs> on stilts? Those are the questions we're trying to answer here. Um, no, I mean, like you guys are saying, it's going to be intriguing. The, the Rockets, as they're trying to figure this out. I mean, starting tonight with Robert Covington supposedly suiting up against the Lakers uh, the night or tonight uh, at the time of recording. Uh, all eyes are going to be on Houston trying to figure out how they're going to make this work. And I mean, they're throwing themselves right into the fire. They have, you know, no exhibition games against, you know, Minnesota and the Warriors to get this figured out. I mean, right away they're going against uh, Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. So we're going to get to see this right away. Yeah, that was my first thought. You mentioned the big men. You talked about the big men, Scott. Like, I hope they're not done. I, I, I realize and appreciate what they're trying to do and how it fits with ultimately what they do. And we saw earlier this year they beat the Jazz and they beat Gobert without putting a big man on the floor the entire game. But when you grind it out in a seven-game series and they're the bigs that are as talented as the bigs in the Western Conference are, I struggle to envision that working for them. You know, they could prove me wrong. They could find a way to circumvent those issues. Um, but I, I just worry about what they're ultimately able to do with those guys who prevent present matchup problems. I, th- I think you are actually the one preparing the comments for Shaq and Chuck on every Inside the NBA <laughs> moving forward because they already railed against this. So you hinted at maybe they'll prove you wrong. How do they prove you wrong? What so, is it? What is it? What does success look like with no guys taller than six, eight playing Anthony Davis or Joel Embiid or Rudy Gobert, or Nikola Jokic or Giannis or Whoever the hell else out there. So, I mean, I mean, the problem that obviously arises is going to be defensively, right? So you think about these big guys, how are you going to make things difficult for these big guys? But I guess the way you combat that is, okay, make things difficult for them. Play them off the floor. Is it, is it running them off the floor? Is it bringing them out of the paint? I think that's kind of what happened. We saw Eric Gordon had that huge game in Utah, and I believe James Harden and Russell Westbrook didn't play, and Rudy Gobert just – couldn't really do anything. They played all small guys. He couldn't really be the rim protector that he typically is and couldn't have the impact on the game like he has because he had no rim to protect. They weren't really trying to do things like that. And then when he's coming out, for they were able to kind of get get some easier buckets that teams usually can't get against them when, when there's less spacing on the floor. So if you can adjust over the course of a seven-game series to make things difficult defensively for that big man to where the advantage or the disadvantage that you're at on the defensive end is made up for on the offense, Offensive end, then I think that would be the one way that they could make that work in a series. But so many things have to go right in my mind for them to be able to do that. I think one of the things that is getting, I, I don't even want to say getting lost because it's been 24 hours. They haven't even, uh, their first game with, with everyone uh, is against the Los Angeles Lakers. So we're really not going to need any time to see uh, how this small, super small ball uh, lineup looks out. I think that Look, Russell Westbrook is he is who he is, and he gets a lot of uh, of grief, and some rightfully deserved uh, for his shot selection, the inefficiency, whatever. But I think one thing that is going grossly undernoticed is one of the reasons that I think they think they can do this is he's unequivocally the best rebounding guard, maybe in league history. If Russell Westbrook is not as good of a rebounder as he is. That there's no way that they can even try doing this. And it's not just volume of rebounds. It's the ability to get it and immediately go 94 feet in, in a blur in ways that when LeBron goes 94 feet, when Giannis does it, when Simmons does it, it's not the same. Like Russell Westbrook getting it and attacking at 100 miles an hour is unlike anything else. And when it's surrounded by four other dudes sprinting next to him, 
all popping off threes. I don't know. I, I'm I'm wildly fascinated. See, Scott, you are looking at look, me with the the look on your face is of utter disbelief and disgust. I just I, I want to know why. I in my head I am just picturing a rebound and Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis fighting for it, and you make <laughs> it sound like Russell Westbrook's winning that battle every single time. Which look, we can we don't have to touch on it. The no, reason touch they, on it. No, no the, I want you to touch look, on it. The reason they did this trade is because the Rockets can't afford to have Westbrook on the court with another guy who can't shoot, right? right. That's why they did this trade. Because if you look at the numbers this season, Russell Westbrook shooting 42.6% when Capella is on the court. He's shooting 49.1% when he's off the court. That's not a surprise to anyone who's watched the Rockets recently, especially when Capella was out, because there's just so much more space for him to attack the basket where he's at his best. So we can talk. I, I mean, I think the Rockets are going to get absolutely destroyed on the boards, but I think they're willing to take that gamble because they think that the added space that Russell Westbrook and James Harden are going to have will make up for that. Um, but I, real- think, I think rebounding, I just said Russell Westbrook being a great rebounder is a big reason why they can do this. I also think rebounding is incredibly overrated. Right, and I think that's the gamble that they're taking. Right. They, they think guys like posting up is not an efficient source of offense anymore, so go ahead and post us up if you want. Offensive rebounding is overrated, so go ahead and beat us on the boards because we're going to run it at you every single time. We're going to space the floor and everything like that. But one more thing I will say, Ian Levy of Nylon Calculus does some great work. He had a really interesting article yesterday, which was basically looking at how Robert Covington and P.J. Tucker, the numbers when they've been matched up with some of the West's best big men. I'm not going to go through every single number. It's pretty horrendous. For example, the the Nuggets are scoring at a pace of 240 points per 100 possessions when Robert Covington is guarding. Uh, it's not great. How many how many possessions? Guarding Jokic. That, exactly. It's a small sample size. And no, everything no. Like actually, that. how many is it? I uh, well, 15 possessions oh, for that God, one. Come on. No, no, no. there's bigger possessions. Like PJ Tucker's guarded Jokic for 60 possessions, and they're scoring at 188 points okay. per 100. So, point being, the numbers aren't great. Small sample size. We'll wait and see. But it is a fascinating gamble by the Rockets, all in all. I agree. I can't wait to see it. I, I think we have ne- we have never seen a team uh, try to break basketball like the Rockets are trying to do it. If anything, this reminds me of like college football when it's like Big Twelve teams. You know, before everybody was spreading out wide or teams that's running the triple option, the the Houston Rockets are just going to be playing a different sport uh, than everybody else. Will that result in them winning more basketball games? Uh, that remains to be seen. Another one of the big moves made, uh, not necessarily because he's a big-name player, but a big-name team that could win it all, the the L.A. Clippers outbid the Los Angeles Lakers for the services of Marcus Morris. Um, What do you guys ultimately think about uh, the better Morris brother going to the Clippers? Uh, Not to get too ahead of ourselves, this is my big winner of the trade deadline. I just think he's... He's averaging basically 20 points per game with the Knicks this season. I don't think he's going to continue scoring at that rate because now he's playing against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. However, he gives him another guy who can kind of create offense. He's shooting above 40% from three this season. He's actually shooting 44% from three on decent sample size and everything like that. And he's also a tough defender, someone who they can throw at LeBron James in the playoffs should they meet the Lakers. That's not to say he's a LeBron stopper, even though he kind of thinks of himself in that way. He once said that, other than Kawhi, he thinks he's the best guy at defending LeBron. But I think, you know, having another guy who's six foot eight, 220 pounds, throw at LeBron, you also have Kawhi and Paul George to mix it up. Um, they're even better suited to match up with the Lakers now, I think. When I think about Marcus Morris and LeBron, just, just as, a, as an aside, I, I think about the mutual respect they have for one another. But I also think about that game seven fast break when the Cavs were playing Boston and Marcus Morris like pulls LeBron down as hard as he can. 
and somehow LeBron still finished the the ball gets goaltended and it still goes in the rim. So I always think about that as like you know an unstoppable force. You know, He's whatever. A superhuman. He, He's yeah, superhuman. he is. He is. So I mean, obviously, make things difficult for LeBron, and then as LeBron gets older, um, one thing I, I think about also with Marcus Morris, just his free agency last year, and and how well he played his last year in Boston, and people were kind of curious and wondering how sustainable those numbers were, and would he be able to bring that wherever he went? Well, obviously, the numbers you said them already. Like he's been doing that. I still have a little bit of concern that now that he's playing alongside the guys he's playing alongside and and the fit. I think you know he's a guy and he, he's a self proclaimed dog. Um, but he's a guy who who definitely brings an edge to that team and adds to that culture that they kind of had last year as a team that you don't want to play in the playoffs. But I, I'm curious to see whether or not he'll still be able to be as efficient. I know the numbers won't be as high, but efficient. Will he be able to shoot as well and things like that and getting the ball in different spots and playing alongside different types of players that, you know, to to be honest, he wasn't playing with that caliber of, of player in New York, obviously. So, yeah, keep but, but, yeah, but yeah, so I think that's my biggest concern or, or question or thing I'm, I'm interested to see about him with the Clippers. The, the edge and tenacity with which he plays fits the identity of Certainly, at least half of the Clippers team. Yeah, uh, I are you guys at all worried about the locker room stuff? Because already one of the biggest concerns for the Clippers the whole year has been their chemistry. Something feels off. They're not gelling. And Marcus Morris, not exactly noted, Mister Locker Room guy. Is this potentially a problem? I'm actually going to disagree with you there. I know that he had that bad, you know, quote after that ugly Memphis Grizzlies game. But Marcus Morris was sort of a mediator in that Celtics, crazy Celtics locker room last year. Like he, with everything that was going on with rumors and, you know, you know, Kyrie's doing this or maybe it's Kyrie and Terry. It seemed like Marcus Morris every single time, even though Marcus Smart is the leader of that team, Marcus Morris was always the one to go to the media and just tell it how it is. And the Clippers might need somebody like that. They might need, and I'm not saying that Marcus Morris is going to, you know, walk into the Staples Staple Center locker room and all of a sudden the media is going to be surrounding him. He's going to tell him, yeah, this is what our Clippers team is like. But I think that eventually he could get to that point where he could join what seems to be like Montrezl Harrell in Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly as like a spokesperson in that locker room. Like I think that he could be just a very straightforward personality that they need. And he's a veteran who's, you know, he's, he's been on playoff winning streaks before, like he did with the Celtics. Um, I just think that matching the toughness that Harold and Williams and Patrick Beverly bring to that team, he adds another guy like that. And I think that he could kind of like, like you said, it's only half the locker room right now. I think Marcus Morris could be that fourth guy that really brings that attitude, carries that attitude throughout Maybe the like entire team. Maybe like connector between like the guys who are a little like d- disconnected right now with kind of the guys who are like super, super like intense and have that that really high sense of urgency, right? And then the guys who seem to be a little more like, okay, let's get to the playoffs. Because like, he's been on both sides of it, right? Like you mentioned, right. he's one game away from the finals with Boston, and then he's also been a guy on a team who's like kind of clawing and, and scraping. Yeah, I think, I think he's just kind of getting this – I don't want to call it unfair because that really, I mean, it obviously wasn't a pretty scene. It's very, yeah, no, it was very, it's very fair because, you know, you can't get away with saying things like that in 2020 with all the cameras and Twitter and everything like that. Um, But I mean, the Knicks are a dumpster fire and we all know that, and that's going to get to everybody. Like, I think at some point that's going to get to everybody. 
where like, you know, in his seasons with the Celtics, no one would have ever deemed Marcus Morris as the locker room problem. I think that right now that's just so relevant because that Knicks Grizzlies scrap just happened. And he kind of took the brunt of that because he made everything worse in the locker room after the game. And now like people are carrying that into this Clippers situation. Oh, is he going to make things worse in LA where really, I don't think that's the case at all. That this is going to be a bear of a team to play against, oh, yeah. by the way. When, I mean, when you just... I mean, they already were. They already were, right? So, yeah, I mean, they didn't really lose anything of, of value. I don't really... Th- I mean, Mohawkless is a good play. I don't want to say that they didn't lose anything in value. I think Morris is an upgrade for upgrade. this team there, though. So I think they've only gotten better. The, the Clippers... If the Clippers and Heat ever play, they should just call it the Super Bowl uh, instead of the NBA Finals because <laughs> those are two teams that, my goodness... Yeah, they can make a tackle. That'd be, I, the, the, not could, I think would. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Butler and Marcus Morris and, and Patrick and Beverly on Jay Crowder, the all on the same not, team. Not forget. That sounds good to me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, so, Scott, you briefly hinted at it. Uh, your biggest winner was the Clippers. Uh, Kyle, moving on, let's just do some winners and losers. Kyle, your biggest winner. Of the entire trade deadline? The entire trade deadline. I actually I agree with Scott. I think it's the Clippers. But um, I think that, you know, the, the teams like the Raptors, the teams like the Bucks, the t- Gil had, had touched on this on uh, his piece or on our piece and on NBA.com Canada. Um, you know, teams like the, the Raptors and the Bucks and the Lakers that kind of just stood pat. I mean, that gives you some sort of an advantage, right? There's no waning period here where you're trying to get these new pieces, you know, accustomed to your system. And, uh, you know, the Raptors are they've won 12 games in a row now the Lakers even though they kind of went through a little bit of a rough stretch you know they're kind of getting back into the swing of things and obviously the Bucks have just been steamrolling anybody everybody uh, I think there's you know there's such thing as winning when you don't do anything yeah and I, and I agree on top of that I mean those are the three teams with the best three records in the league right now and that's for a reason and also chemistry is a real thing you talk about like incorporating new people but also like when you make a deal and you know, a teammate goes out the door and new people come in like there's emotions and there's things involved in that these guys are human so I think that that standing pat is is definitely something uh, that that sometimes doesn't get enough credit. As like t- to your point, Kyle, um, my, I had my biggest winner uh, as the Grizzlies. We talked it's not about ke- it already. It's not chemistry. Uh, Sounds chem- like it chemistry, was chemistry. chemistry. Chemistry is a good one. If I had a better chemistry grade when I took chemistry, I would I would be all for <laughs> chemistry. Uh, but you know, um, but yeah, I'm going with the Grizzlies. Uh, I mean, they have chem- great chemistry going on for them. We kind of talked about it already. Like they have that us against everybody mentality, which you like to see in a small market team. Uh, a bunch of young guys, and I'm really excited to see if they can make hold on to the eight seed. Um, everything they've done uh, to, to to build this roster the way they have, they also signed Dylan Brooks to an extension. They locked him up. Uh, he's he, they play well when he plays well, and I think the confidence of knowing he's a part of their future is going to make him play much better. And I think that uh, they'll be fun to watch. Playoff John Morant is something. Sign me up for playoff John Morant. I, I want playoff John Morant against playoff Zion Williamson, and we're going <laughs> to get it for like the next fifteen years, yeah. and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, also, Duke, a lot of Duke on Duke crime there in that. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's it is, it is. Uh, my big winner, and I, I don't even know. I don't even know if history will point to them as a actual winner of the trade deadline. I, I think it's the Houston Rockets. I love when teams just go for it because of Russell, team, Russell Westbrook's rebounding. That's why. Right? Oh my god! Get out of here! <laughs> get out of here! You're not sitting on the fence on that one, are you, buddy? <laughs> no, I just. I get the sense that whatever was going on in Houston, it just wasn't it wasn't going to work. The best version of Houston was whenever Clint Capella was not on the floor. So what did they decide to do? They flipped Clint Capella for somebody that fits exactly what they want to do when they're at their best. Again, I have no idea if it'll work. It's sort of similar to like my I, my other one was going to be Miami 
just I have very sincere doubts about Andre Godala, but I love that Pat Riley and Miami are just like, screw it, we're going for it. I love when teams say, screw it, we're going for it. And that's exactly what Houston did by doing this. To me, they, they instantly become the most fascinating team uh, short-term uh, across the entire league. So those are the winners. Scott, other than the Rockets, who I know that you think are a loser. No rule. No rule. You don't? Are no, you no, sure? No. I, I really don't. I, I think, like you, I think it's a fascinating gamble. I don't know if it's going to pay off. I'm not very confident in it, but okay. I, I appreciate it as well. Who's your biggest loser? Probably Denver. Um I wasn't crazy about the move they made. They got a first round pick, which which is, I mean, that's that's fine. Um, but after they made that trade, the 12 team, 14 trade when they were involved in that, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted that they'd still be active going into the deadline. I was hoping that they would make a big move. I understand why they didn't. They're in this this phase where they're one of the best teams in the league, and yet they're probably better suited to compete in five years' time when guys like Michael Porter Jr. are older, Jokic and everything. And Bobo. Yep, yeah, sure. Don't sleep on Bull Bull, man. Bull Bull. And I, I just, I would have loved to see them like get Drew Holiday. I don't even know if he was gettable, but I, I thought that would have been great. Uh, am I allowed to say the Boston Red Sox, or is that a different sport? <laughs> it's way too <laughs> soon. I can't believe you went there. Um, no, nah, the biggest loser is Andre Drummond. I feel so bad for this guy. I mean, you know, granted, maybe it's a new situation and things could work out a little bit better. But I mean, you got to think like you're seeing your name in you know the trade rumor mill leading up to the couple weeks up to the trade deadline and you're seeing, oh, you know, maybe the Clippers will take a swing for the center that they need, or maybe Boston will take a swing for the center that, you know, they need. And, you know, maybe these guys don't read into these rumor mills at all, but if you're Andre Drummond and you are looking into that, you know, there's got to be something in the back of your mind where you're like, oh, you know what, this could be exciting. Like maybe I could be the piece that takes a team over the top. I dump, you know, the whole like mantra of me that it's empty calories and all I am is like a rebounder and a stat patter. And maybe I'll have that chance to prove that. And then we all get that notification and it's like, you're going to the Cavaliers. I mean, it's just who, who have Tristan Thompson and might not buy him out as well in Larry Nance and Kevin yeah. Love. It just doesn't really seem to make all that much sense. So you're, you know, if you're going to be traded, I, I saw someone had a funny quote on Twitter. It was, you know, Andre Drummond's agent calling him saying, do you want the good news or the bad news first? And it's like, well, the good news is you've been traded. And he's like, all right, well, to who? And the bad news is, well, you're going to the Cavs. You know what I mean? So I, I, I feel for Andre Drummond. Right I mean, now. He is going to be a free agent in three months. So nothing is forever. Right. And for what it's worth, Cleveland was one of the teams that has one of the very few teams that has max cap space anyway. So I, I don't know. No, do you guys, I'm glad that you sort of mentioned that Drummond in theory could have been a missing piece, whether it's for Boston or the Clippers or I mean, I, who, whoever else. Is there a chance that this is going to be another Roy Hibbert situation where he goes from just all-star major piece to just completely marginalized within a, a matter of two years. No, nah, I'm, I'm not ready to do that to Andre Drummond. He's, he's literally the best rebounder in the NBA. And it's, I don't even think it's close. I, I think that'd be disrespectful to say. I mean, I guess Roy, that Roy Roy, Hibbert's career turned around pretty fast. The Roy, but, that's what I was going to say. The Roy Hibbert drop-off was just so steep and so quick that I don't think we, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we don't see anything quite like it for a very long time. So I, I, I do think there's an emptiness about drum stats and everything like that, but I'm not willing to go that far. Yeah, I'm not either. He's too good at rebounding. I, you know, I mean, he's one of the few guys in the NBA that averages over a steal and a block, a steal and a half and a block a, a 
I'm sorry, a steal and a half and a block a half a game. And he leads the league, like you say, he leads the league in rebounding. He's just 26 years old. Um, I, I, I'm curious, you know, obviously I, I don't think that Cleveland's going to be in his long-term future, but I don't know what the free agent market is going to look like for him. I know there's some teams that have money, but are they going to have a need for what he does? And are they, is he going to get what his market value for his production is? That's, that's going to be the interesting thing about Andre Drummond and what lies in the future for him. But uh, I definitely don't think coming into the day we envisioned uh, him as a Cleveland Cavalier by the, by the days in. So that's, that's a, a, a very, that, yeah, that's, 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 that qualifies for being a loser. So is he sure. your loser as well? Loser? Um, no, it's, it's tied into that though. Uh, you mentioned Boston needing a big man and being in the mix for somebody like that. I, I got to go with the Celtics. Um, I was thinking that they were going to try and, and make a move to, to hit some bench scoring or, or get a big man. Um, the, the Drummond trade happens like, oh man, that means that Tristan Thompson is going to get bought out and he's going to go to Boston. That's perfect. And then the news comes out that Cleveland has no plans to buy Tristan Thompson out. So the Celtics uh, kind of stand pat, which, you know, like I said, we I, I feel like I'm contradicting myself. There's some good things to be said about standing pat, but at the same time, um, the Sixers made a move to get better. Uh, the Heat made a number of moves to get better. The Raptors are ahead of you right now. You don't want to be fourth or fifth. Right now they have, a, I think, a game lead over Miami for, for third at the time of recording. You don't want to fall in fourth or fifth and, and see the Celtics and the – I mean, see the Bucks in the second round because you don't have the size to deal with Giannis. So you didn't really do anything to combat that issue, and now you're in a spot where the teams around you got better to where they can leapfrog you, and now you're back in a spot where you're playing a team where you don't really match up well against. So that, that could be an issue for them. I got gotcha. you. That makes sense. Yeah. It, do you do you think Drummond would have been that guy for Boston? <laughs> if 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 Boston had been the one that traded Andre traded for Andre Drummond, and apparently based on the the bag of unsalted uh, potato chips that uh, that Detroit got back for him, they probably could have gotten him <laughs> without it actually including anything. Yeah, well, that, uh, <laughs> they would have had to well the match money, salaries I, and everything like that. And given it. Boston's salary sheet, it's actually they'd have to probably have given up a good player or a rotational player. That, so I think it's a little bit more. Complicated and that's what I was going to say. It would it would have been a little more difficult for them to do that. And I guess it was it was it was the it was the buyout it was a buyout thing. I guess that makes them more of a loser than the inability to make a deal for Drummond. But also another player they are linked to was Davis Bertans, who we gave a shout out on the pod. Couple Man, months they, ago, they were asking for two first round picks for him, which is which is crazy Ooh. to think. Which is crazy to think. When I'm, I don't think anybody envisioned that uh, coming into the year when Thomas Bertans <laughs> landed in DC that, that he would be commanding that on the trade market. But here we are. I mean, might be a favorite to win the win the three point contest. I'm actually shocked the Knicks didn't give up two first round picks for <laughs> Thomas Bertans. I'm shocked. Yeah, they haven't yet. Uh, my my biggest loser. I I gotta agree with Scott here. I oh. think it's I think it's the Denver Nuggets. They should have gone like if there was a team out there, and I get it. Maybe five years from now is when their actual window is, when Jokic is thirty and Michael Porter Jr. is twenty-five and whatnot. But I also think that like championship windows open and close so quickly. You have no like five years. You can you nobody in the NBA has any idea what will happen five years from now, right? Like the whole the whole Miami Heatles thing lasted four years. Uh, Kevin Durant was in Golden State for three years. Like these things happen so fast. So I don't even think it's worth planning for five years down the future. To me, if I'm Denver, I look around the league and I say, you know what? The Lakers are going to be better next year. The Clippers are going to be better next year. This is our time right now. And look, I love Michael Porter Jr. There's no guarantees that Michael Porter Jr. turns into a, a star. 
I, I love him. I think he probably will, but there's no guarantees of that. If you can give up Michael Porter Jr. and go get somebody to help you win a title now, I don't know. If there was any team that should have been the one uh, team that what what Miami was out there doing, I think it should have been the Denver Nuggets. I'm right there with you. I think I subconsciously stole that from you, by the way, because I think you did mention that the Nuggets were your biggest loser. You always still mess that up. That probably just <laughs> was in the back of my mind, and then I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, basically the Nuggets are just kind of on cruise control at this point, right? Like they, I think they just trust the depth that they have and they're going to trust Jokic and trust Jamal Murray and they're just kind of stuck with what they have, this rotation right now. And I mean, Jeremy Grant's been playing pretty well lately. I think they trust Will Barton. I think they're just kind of throwing it on cruise control and however far this team goes, they're just going to be happy with Anytime that. Anytime you can throw up your hands and resign to losing in the second round in five, you simply have to, the Denver Nuggets, <laughs> ladies wow. and gentlemen. Uh, well, that's all we have for you today. A wild, fast, furious, crazy, insane trade deadline. Contenders, big names, big markets, uh, winners and losers all around. For Kyle, for Gil, for Scott, I'm Micah. Thanks for tuning in to NBA Sound System. Keep it locked right here all season long. We'll see you next time.